millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How are you, Paul? I'm pretty good. How are you? Fantastic. Uh, are you feeling good about the uh, the Queen's birthday? I mean, public holidays don't really mean that much given everything that's going on, do they? Well, I'm self-employed. Mm. And for everyone out there that is self-employed, they will appreciate the fact that, you know, when you don't work, you don't get paid. Mm. Unlike people that are on the government payroll that are at home today, or not at work, should, should I say, because there are a lot of people that are actually at home, but home is actually their place of work. Mm. But imagine they're at home and not working. Is this a Dr. Zeus novel? What the fuck is going on? Listen, this week, Dad, we are talking about Queen Elizabeth and fire. And no, not not about Gough Whitlam getting fired by the Queen. That's a whole different thing. Um, it's the Queen's birthday holiday. Last time we were all in Thailand together because uh, you and Mum have a have house over in Thailand. Hmm. It was Harry and Meghan's royal wedding. And Tegan and I were there. And if you recall, I was pretty insistent that the four of us, you know, bundle up and do the whole British royal wedding thing properly. So we drove down to um, this local mall and we found... Oh, God, it was flower. really difficult. Yeah, we had to find flour mm. because mum was going to make scones and then we got the closest thing we could get to clotted cream and jam and and we, and we I, I used a semi-legal process to get the BBC iPlayer playing. Yeah, yep, and, we, and we, watched, we watched the whole thing. Live. Did you enjoy I, it? What I did enjoy was the pomp and ceremony. Yeah. I mean, I, I liked a lot of it. I'm, I'm not a um, staunch royalist, yeah. but I'm not... I mean, I, I think there are arguments for and against, but I kind of think having been over to London and actually stood outside uh, Buckingham Palace, you know, I, I question whether or not... I don't see anything wrong with some of the tradition that we have in this world. I think it'd be a little bit sad because then you're not sort of acknowledging history. And history is everything that's behind us up until now. And I think there are positive aspects of that organisation, uh, evident by not just how I feel, but... Now, listen, I want to bring us back to Thailand. So, we were in Thailand watching the Royal Wedding, and we watched... I mean, we watched everything. Like, we watched the guests come in, we watched the commentary from the little commentary box, and, I mean, we'd been there because... Uh, Tegan, myself, you, and Mum went on a, and Anne actually went on a bus tour uh, about what two years ago now, and mm. it was around Christmas, and we headed on this bus tour, which was a really weird call. And I believe the first stop was it the first stop was Windsor Castle, correct? Yeah. And yeah, we got to Windsor, and we, we realized we had about twenty minutes, so we ran up through the township, and we kind of ran up that side road that goes along the side of the estate, and that's basically where the guests 
headed in. So, and that is also the same day that I proposed to Tegan later on in Bath. I mean, the Grenadiers that carry those machine guns on mm. at the castle. Yeah. Do you recall there was that uh, tourist uh, with her back to them, <laughs> and she was taking photographs, and they were marching toward her, and they were screaming at her. Yeah. To get out of the way. And she didn't move. And she didn't move, and they basically just mowed her over. Yeah, I remember. That, that was very interesting. I yeah. found that quite fascinating. That was very interesting. But the point is we were in Thailand watching the royal wedding and I was going to ask you, Dad, about the police and firefighters in Thailand because, I mean, at one point a couple of months ago potentially, you implied that you were considering enlisting in the emergency services in Thailand. Yeah. Is that correct? Well, like, let's, well, let's... Yeah. They're called um, the tourist police right. um, and for There'll be people listening that'll think they're a bunch of wankers, and that's that's fair enough. But in Thailand, if you get in trouble with the local constabulary, mm. you've got a, a shit pile of problems on many, many levels. So what the Thai authorities have done, which I think is really, really good, in major tourist areas, they have created these tourist police. And these police come from various backgrounds, various nationalities, Mm-hmm. So that if you have a problem in Thailand and you like, let's imagine you've been mugged, or or, or you've been conned, or um, you've been involved in an altercation or a car accident, um, how good would it be to be able to get some police, perhaps even from your country, that can act as sort of the go-between? Um, Wouldn't that cause sort of diplomatic incidents if there were disagreements? Or? Oh well, no, because. It's a very, very specific role in Thailand um, because I've downloaded all the paperwork to actually become a tourist police officer. Seriously? Yeah. Um, What's the uniform like? Uh, it's, 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 it's okay. Um, I'm not doing it for the, uh, for the uniform or the machismo. I don't know. I think it's a really wonderful way to immerse yourself in, in the local culture and, um, and really get a, a great sense on the ground as to what's happening, um, and I think it's a great service. So in certain towns in Thailand, they block off the streets and they then call them walking streets. Yeah. And um, and they've got this amazing, great atmosphere. There's a great sense of sort of um, jocularity. Not quite sure whether that's the right word, but it's a pretty cool word. And you, you, you feel secure knowing that you've got both the Thai police and you've got some, some international police. They don't have police powers as such, but as I said, no. they're the conduit between uh, the victim and and the royal Thai police. It's so like a, it's, it's like um, a it's kind of a liaison officer. Liaison, some, yeah. I've got and photos of them here. You get a little cool lanyard and stuff, but it does say tourist police on what is ostensibly a bib. Um, yeah. But I guess my question is, what about the fire brigade? Could you theoretically enrol in the fire brigade in Thailand? Well, here's the thing: in uh, Hua Hin or Wahin, depending on um, how you decide to 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 enunciate that particular city's name that's a town in southern thailand where the royal family have their summer palace Mm -hmm. i mean they no doubt have summer palaces all over the place but this is a particularly beautiful town and we have a uh, house in huahin up in the mountains in the mornings you can hear the monkeys in the forest christine and i were driving a few months ago at the back of that back of our place um and it's sort of up in the mountains there's beautiful sea breeze it's it's sort of about maybe three kilometres from the uh, from the ocean. Yeah, so it's up the hill, right? Up the it's hill, up, yeah. Um, and it's 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 very beautiful. And we were riding and driving through the through the jungle, kind of. Um, and we came across. We looked ahead and we saw 
what appeared to be a cyclist. Have I told you this story? No, story. you haven't. Okay, there was a cyclist on the road, and he was he's he'd come off his bike. He was lying face down, and I I honestly believed that he was dead. Um, a car had hit him, and uh, and the car had left, uh, as is often the case anywhere in the world. So it was basically a hit and run. I pulled up about fifty meters prior to sort of him, his body on the road. There yeah. was no one around. And uh, I sort of set up this safe um, corridor for me to exit the vehicle and then get down to him to check on him. And he was uh, lying there. There was a lot of blood. Uh, he was motionless. And I was convinced that he uh, was deceased. And, you know, we didn't have a, a phone on us. And, oh God, that's one of the things about being in any foreign country you it's really important to at least know the emergency phone numbers if you do have a phone yeah and it, it seemed like minutes and i rolled him over and um he was unconscious and i was just about to contemplate i was just getting his vital statistics and thinking about doing um, some cpr but in the back of my mind i was also thinking about the mass of blood there was a lot of blood he's he'd sustained fairly serious um injuries yeah mainly facial injuries. And then I was trying to think to myself, um, you know, even if I could do mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, I was worried that I wouldn't be able to get a seal because when you do mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, if they've, if the person has sustained serious facial injuries, um, like, you know, their, their, their lips have sort of torn apart and their nose is split open and, you know, maybe a couple of facial bones are sticking out, I mean, can you imagine if you could get a seal and then you blow into their mouth and the air that's supposed to be going into their lungs just blows out the side of their face? You with me? Is that what happened? No. Oh. But I'm just giving you a sort of a, a hypothesis of what can happen in terms of when you do blow into someone's mouth, you need to get a really good seal. And when you're doing CPR, at least when I was in the emergency services if you had to do cpr on a baby mm -hmm. you actually put your mouth over their nose and mouth right the and you'd get a seal and then you'd blow that's how i kiss fantastic yeah. now when i say blow lungs up i don't mean to the Exploded. point of exploding of course of course okay here's the as if this story is not kind of a little bit odd um not odd but it was surreal because i'm in the middle of the jungle by myself christine's sort of standing looking and it was quite a sad sort of scenario we felt sorry for this cyclist mm -hmm. and he was kitted out in the best european road racing he had a really really good bike carbon fiber i noticed all these things and while i'm on my knees preparing like putting him in a recovery position and trying to get him ready to go mm -hmm. i looked to my right and i want you to try and guess what i saw you can ask me questions and I'll give you hints. Okay. Um, and believe you me, this is quite... It's 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 weird what I saw. All right. All right. Uh, was it a human being or an animal? No, an animal. Okay. Was it a monkey? No. A dog? No. A f elephant? Correct. What? I saw the biggest elephant I've ever seen in my life. And at this point, some of the listeners might be going, for fuck's sake, John, get a grip of yourself. Yep. But no... Because Christine saw it too, the biggest elephant, and it was black. It was super, super dark. Not grey, not brown. It was black. And it must have been, I reckon, 
I reckon it was 12 to 15 feet tall. Now you it are was a prone, monster. I mean, God I'm bless you. I'm prone to exaggeration. You are prone I, to exaggeration. I, I agree. Yep. But this was a motherfucker of an elephant. Jeez. And there it was just looking at me. Yeah. And I just thought how... I mean, these, as if the situation wasn't weird enough to be the first responder in a foreign country on a back road and then getting ready to do some CPR and then all of a sudden there's this huge elephant. Now, elephants are, or can be, incredibly dangerous. It was on a path. It had come out of the jungle and it was basically just, from my perspective, it was basically looking at us. I don't know what it was thinking, but... That made the whole situation uh, it changed the dynamics considerably because an elephant on the run, imagine if it had have just come over and just squashed me. Right. That would have been quite depressing. Well, we wouldn't be recording this for one. Well, it might not, might not have killed me. I might have just had major crushed rub. I said rubs, but of course there's no such word as rubs. Well, there is, but I meant ribs. <laughs> Excellent work, Dad. Um, okay, now... Something weird happened then. The guy began to move. Right. He, well, he wasn't dead. I thought he was dead. Yep. But he wasn't dead. Could you could you run us through his injuries as you saw them? Oh, major, major. He'd lost. He he had a lot of bones exposed. Uh, he'd basically just driven. He'd basically used his face as a as a as a uh, brake uh, on the bitumen, uh, and he'd left a, a like a snail trail uh, of his face. No. Like his lips. No. And no, no. His nose had gone. No. Um, and, uh, so I had all that plus the elephant. Um, and okay. As if this story isn't surreal enough, uh-huh. out of virtually nowhere appeared three female nuns. They just appeared. I'm not say saying they appeared in the miraculous sense. It turns out there was a convent nearby. Right. These three nuns in white just kind of. All of a sudden, they were just standing there because obviously I was fairly preoccupied um, By the you know, with, and the, with the elephant. I was keeping yeah. one eye on the elephant yeah. and one eye on the guy, which is weird because eyes actually work simultaneously. So if I could actually do what a chameleon can do mm-hmm. and move one eye independently of the other, I could have done that. Well, but, if you were a chameleon, I mean, the nuns wouldn't have seen you. They would have just seen the I elephant. I would have just blended into the roadway. Road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they uh, they were lovely, and they came up and they they uh, caressed my forelock. <laughs> what is wrong with you? I had to say it. I've always wanted to put that in the sentence. Have you? Yeah. Well, congratulations. So mm. the, the nuns presumably don't have the kind of medical know-how to actually help. No, but they had a mobile phone. Great. Because okay. these nuns were keyed into the 21st century. Sure. All right. So they, and, they call the emergency services. Okay. Now, what um, happens in Thailand is yeah, that every yeah. you, you rec- the listeners may or may not recall, and hopefully they will recall that in the early days in England, uh, particularly in Paris, they had every insurance company had its own fire brigade, mm-hmm. and they had the fire marks on the front of the buildings. And if the fire mark was current, yes, um, the fire engine would rock up. I some guys would push a, a little like a an oversized billy cart. Yeah. And throw buckets of water onto, into the fire, which was generally, you know, pretty useless. Uh-huh. Taking that that situation, that story, and then sort of transposing it into Thailand is that every single hospital in Thailand has their own ambulance service. Gotcha. So if you go, and here's a fun fact for everyone listening, and I say this unashamedly, if you're in Thailand 
and you have an accident, and the chances are pretty high that you will, in your dying breath, make sure you're always asked to go to the Bangkok hospital because it's an incredible international hospital and it's top shelf and they've got very good ambulances. You don't want to go to one of the local hospitals because um, your chances of survival are slim and your chances of picking up a secondary infection uh, with the greatest of respect uh, is amplified somewhat. Right. So Bangkok Hospital is the way to go. Make sure. And, and here's, here's something that I must stress to everyone, and you all know it. I know you all know it, but some people still go overseas, but get travel insurance. Mm. Because if you don't and you're in Bali and you come off the motorbike and you need to get back to Australia, you're fucked. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. your family will be bled dry. Yeah. Because if you need a nurse and a doctor on board, they will remove seats in business class to get you back. Right. And try and figure out what that's going to cost. And also, if you're riding a motorbike in Asia and probably anywhere else in the world, a lot of people from Australia go to Bali, 15, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, adults. They hop on bikes. They've got all the insurance. They have a bad accident. The first thing the Australian insurance company wants to see is your current if you're from Sydney, they want to see your New South Wales motorcycle license. Okay. Because if you don't have one, you're fucked. Right. I was going to say, what what happened then? Once the what happened next in the story of the oh, Christine and I left. You just left. Well, we the ambos rocked up. Did you have to fill out any no. paperwork or anything? God, we just hopped in the car and pissed off. Wow. Where did you go after that? Do you remember? Oh uh, yeah, we went to an incredible restaurant and I drowned my misery and in some Thai salads and uh, beautiful. Uh, Cold brew. God, I miss the food there. But I mean, one of the best things about being in Thailand was the fact that you you could just, I mean, separate from things. And one of the great things about the royal wedding was it just it felt like escapism, and it was Harry and Meghan, and it was very you know it was very different. But the reason I wanted to um, bring us back to the royal thing, partly because it's you know this is the Queen's birthday mm. episode of Loose Units, but also there was a very 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 famous fire. 
um, back in, in 1992. Correct. Um, so this is the fire that broke out in Windsor Castle. I'm not mm. sure if not not everyone will know this, but basically Windsor Castle was on fire, mm. and um, it was a whole shitstorm. It started uh, in the Queen's. She has this private chapel, and it mm. started in about at about 11 o'clock in the morning. And apparently there was a curtain that went up. Mm. And then, effectively, there was massive fire damage there. And I remember seeing footage of this happening. I was extremely, extremely young. But the reason I was interested in this fire, apart from all of the associated kind of weirdness of this, is that because of the large amount of damage, naturally, it incurred a lot of, you know, uh, they needed to basically pay for a lot of this damage. And this is the first time that the Queen actually paid tax. So And also opened up... Um Buckingham Palace. Buckingham Palace for tourists. Yeah, that's right. To facilitate um, the extraordinary cost of that particular, which was around about thirty-five million pounds. Yeah. Um, and and how that 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 fire actually started was a curtain, and it actually brushed up against uh, a spotlight. A spotlight, okay. And it okay. ignited. Now, one of the, I've, I've gone through the uh, the facts of the uh, of the story in some minute detail. Um, and, and I've tried to look at it from three perspectives, uh, a citizen's perspective, a firefighter's perspective, and a police officer's perspective. And mm. the the castle had a fire crew of um, 26 permanent, and they were based two miles away, which is, I guess, around about three to four kilometres away. But the thing is, Paul, that that fire came up and they knew it was a fire. I mean, it's all very well talking about things in hindsight, and, and I'm quite uh, aware of of the whole principle of of hindsight, and and some might say, including myself, on occasions, that it's it's not a fair cop mm. to say, oh yes, but, and and we tend to do that a lot uh, because we're we're looking back on an event in the calmness of of the present. But um, one thing that um, jumped out at me when I read all the, uh, uh, the the facts about that particular incident, which lasted around about twelve hours, um, yeah. Which gives you some idea of the intensity, but it took them. Um, it took the castle uh, fire controller twenty-two minutes before he notified the external fire brigade. Why is that? Yeah, that's right. Why is that? Uh, they may have thought that they could control the fire, um, but it turned out to be, in terms of appliances, they they ended up with thirty-nine appliances and. Um, Prior to that, since 1974 in London, that was the the highest number of appliances ever called to any fire in London. Um, since 1974, up until that moment in 92, was 30 appliances, right. and they ended up having 39 appliances for that particular fire. Fortunately, um, they'd managed to move a lot of the very valuable paintings. They were working on sort of re rehousing and restoring, and also they'd lent a lot of these. Paintings and a lot of the, a lot of the artworks in these institutions are priceless. Uh, they're ir- certainly irreplaceable, and the fireys did a great job in trying to. Uh, they had they had about two hundred and fifty firemen yeah. working, and the fire actually uh, they got it under control, and then what quite often happens, um, it, it it then reignited, and and that reminds me of a story in uh, in Brookvale on the northern beaches some months ago. There was a storage facility. And um, it was a major fuck up, and that is that, and it, and it happens occasionally, is that the the fireys that rocked up, they thought that it was um, under control. Mm. We may have touched on this story, and they um, and they basically sent everyone home, and they're just chilling, and they hadn't put it out. 
when it reignited. And it turned into a monster fire that went for four days. The damage it caused, they lost the entire building. But the businesses around there were all shut down. And how embarrassing being yeah. the... Uh, being the station officer, I assume, at that point, who'd made the call, you know, where he thought um, that it was done and dusted. Yeah. That's the thing with fire. You've got to be, you know, with, when yeah. fire is when bushies and CFA and all, all the guys and girls get out there into the bush and they, uh, you know, some of these fires can burn. Well, you know, the peat fires, there are some peat fires. Correct me if I'm wrong, mm. but I think there are some fires that have been burning for thousands of years underground. Yeah. It's no, fascinating, not, isn't I it? I know about these. What, what interests me, Dad, is that the castle had its own kind of in-house fire brigade. Yeah, it 20. Was, it was, 20 yeah, it guys a- that had, and girls. I'm not sure what the, what the mix was in terms of sex, but yeah. they had six permanent and um, 14 sort of volunteers mm. two miles away. They were in stables. Um uh, you know, that's where they were housed, the, yeah. the their appliance, etc. Now, just to be and, clear, the firefighters weren't horses in no. firefighting costumes, were they? No. Because that would have been fires. ineffectual, but uh, absolutely adorable. Mm. Um, but uh, How do you feel about animals dressed up as firefighters? Do you think it's cute or do you think it's disrespectful? Um, I think it's on par with firemen dressing up as animals. <laughs> Imagine going to a fire and then suddenly... Imagine trying to fit firemen who are dressed up as horses in the back of the, the appliance. Well, but it was just like a pantomime horse. You just you just step the bottom half and the top half out. And then when you get out of the fire fire engine, you... I mean, you have hoofs. You can't operate I always hoofs. feel sorry. I, I, I always... Whenever I see in theatrical performances or street performances where there's, always, there's, there's a horse or a donkey, mm-hmm. uh, you know that it's two people in there. And I always feel sorry for the guy at the back. Fair enough. Because have you seen the position he has to take in to be the back of a horse? Yeah, it's got to have his head right up the first person's bottom. Correct. Yep, just for stability. Mm. Yep. Anyway, so they have a in-house fire brigade, a small yep. one. Mm. I mean, first of all, do you find it odd that the dedicated fire brigade didn't actually manage to keep it? under control without having to call on. It's not a matter of keep it under control. I think, look, when you're talking about, I'm, again, I come back to the the in hindsight uh, sort of caveat that uh-huh. I shall uh, invoke on what I'm about to say. I think 22 minutes seems to be quite a long time to actually get them to respond. That's the exterior yep. um, organisation. Who'd be on standby? Obviously, that's what that's what fire is are waiting for. Yes, and it is a very significant um, structure, as you know, and it's on a hill. Don't forget that. Remember when we were queuing for what, a, what seemed to be half a day? Yeah, you recall that when we when we when you sort of get in, you're walking all the time up, up, up. Yeah, and as as we all know, the principles of fire is that the fire climbs, climbs, and and Shit. it just wants to go go hard, and and and, and the beautiful tapestries <clears throat> and all the timber. You may recall the beautiful interiors. Oh, they, I know and, what they should have done, Dad. They should have just made it queue for a ticket. They could that would have bought them at least half an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have I ever said to you you're an ideas person, Paul? 
Yes, you have. Mm. Thank you very much. Yes. I'm I'm just curious because I found out how much water they used on this thing. So they used seven million liters, and apparently, like you said, you know when they have to kind of get water from um, what's it called when they refill the drafting. Tanks? They drafted oh, oh, well from a static supply. Yeah, but they drafted from so they used the mains water supplies, and then they had a reservoir-fed hydrant. But this is interesting. They drafted from a swimming pool, a pond, and the River Thames. That isn't that wonderful. Isn't that great? It's so good. The the great thing I like is that the River Thames is a very working class river. It's filthy. It's surrounded by poverty, and that filthy, filthy poor person water is being is just drowning the antiquities of the royal family. It feels a little poetic, or at least mm. maybe tragic. I'm not sure. And also, you've got to be aware of uh, building collapse. Uh, during that fire, the floors and ceilings, they had a false ceiling in one of the big rooms. It collapsed. And they were very, very concerned. On two occasions in that fire, they lost contact with three firefighters each time. Yes. And then that slowed the whole firefighting process down. Um, as I've as we've mentioned in relation to arson, um, you know, when in America in particular, when they they dig the hole and fill it with broken glass and nails and yeah. all sorts of things, and they suspend the balloons above the ceiling full of petrol, so that when the fires are inside and the fire really gets going, not only have they got all the the terrible drama of trying to put the fire out, but then occasionally these balloons um, drop down and ignite, and just oh, it's diabolical. Jesus. All, all I, part of the process to slow the fireys down. I was, um, I was interested in the fact that pretty much everything in these places is flammable because a lot of Tudor architecture and everything it's it's all tapestries and it's you and know timber. architraves and yeah. timber. Yeah, and we've been into you know, um, you know obviously the bits of um, Windsor Castle that didn't burn. We've been through the the chapel where the wedding took place, and it's all so old and so flammable. I know, and, and so beautiful. And it's really beautiful and it's tricky when history burns because, you know, I mean, I know that when Notre Dame went up... Um, we were there. We were actually... We were. We saw there. them. We, yeah, we were we there when the fires were there. That was... Yeah, we saw it burn. And, it, and it's interesting because the we were having this discussion and I know that a lot of, uh, you know, French billionaires and philanthropists and people around the world were suddenly donating all of their money to try and save this thing. Hmm. But these same people wouldn't raise a dollar to stop the Amazon rainforest burning. Uh, and I find it interesting what people will and won't throw their weight behind in terms of saving it. It's interesting because I think a lot of people have very mixed feelings about the royals. and But I think even the most staunch, you know, anti-royalist probably wouldn't enjoy seeing, you know, 400-year-old tapestries burn. Um, no, it'd be very, very upsetting. I mean, yeah. the listeners also um, may recall that at least when I, because you know, when I left the um, the fire brigade, I got that job um, with fire and security at the Sydney Opera House. Yes, and the the Sydney Opera House. I don't know what it's like now, but back back in the nineteen nineties, the uh, the Sydney Opera House had its own internal fire brigade. Right, and uh, it's got its own hospital. It's got over 1,100 rooms Jesus. because um, they need to be able to respond. Uh, you, can't, you can't comprehend. I'd go so far as to say that if the Sydney Opera House burnt down, yeah. um, I, I, I feel that it's actually irreplaceable. I think um, I think that they'd be hard pressed to uh, to rebuild it. They certainly wouldn't have problems with drafting. I mean, you know, no, because... they got the the unlimited supply. Yeah, um, but I remember going down into the big engine room, the big pump rooms at the Sydney Opera House, and they had 
uh, a lot of they had some very very unusual uh, fire protection systems in place that I'd never seen before. Mm. They had systems whereby you know how you um, buildings and fire is hook into the mains and the mains are the big pipes that run through all our streets. Yeah, that's the mains, and ultimately that goes back to Warragamba Dam, which is our major water supply. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is so amazing, and I've, I've just remembered. And I remember at the time being shown this and I thought, this is so fascinating. They actually had, and I'm not sure whether they still do, they had two independent water supplies coming into the Sydney Opera House, both from the mains but separate supplies. That's so fascinating. You can't imagine when on earth a main would fail the only time a main can can kind of fail is sometimes in a very very large fire you've got these officers they they're not firefighters they work for the water authority yeah i think they're called water inspection officers or some water type officer they have the power to turn the mains off right which is an almighty power because it means no house has water Mm. but sometimes they might do that in a major incident to divert what little more water they do have left in the mains or if there's been a major incident that is actually uh well there are cases of course where when they're doing excavation work sometimes they'll dig up a main and it'll create i mean the pressure is just it's mighty right mighty pressure and they might need to then up the road, the water that that special officer will he's got a special large key, and he'll put it into the ground, and he'll turn the actual mains off at that point. Right. Um, but these are big decisions, and um, and and the thing about these decisions, of course, is they've got to be made very very quickly. So you need people with almost absolute authority to come in. Yeah. Like the fireys that have got the the power to push a boat off and sink it. Or demolish buildings either side. I, I know I've said this to you before, and, and, and I hope the listeners, because um, I, I think it's so fascinating, and that is that in any situation, at least it was the case, um, which I think is kind of funny and sweet, and that is that no matter what the situation is, whether it be a siege or a fire, no matter how cataclysmic an event, there's that one person that can't be stopped, at least in law. They may have changed it, but mm-hmm. when I was in both services... There was that one particular person that you couldn't stop them going through. And you know who that is? The queen? No. Her. The male man. Oh, shit. You cannot stop the male. Isn't that that's wonderful? In, and that's just... actually by royal warrant through right. the reigning monarch. Well, you are getting so good at this and drawing us back on topic. I actually had uh, one last royal related thing to run by you, and it might be by the by, but you've actually, in your time uh, working at the Opera House, you had a meal and got to spend some time. And you've told the story in the podcast before with um, Gough Whitlam and his wife. Hmm. And uh, this is very recent news, but um, an Australian court ruled a couple of days ago that uh, they have to release letters between... Queen Elizabeth and her local representative in the 70s, which is probably going to shed some pretty juicy light and some gossip on uh, the sacking of the Prime Minister Gough Whitlam. It'll be interesting, no doubt. 
It'll be very interesting, and I would be curious to say, because recently the Queen's done a few things that I haven't loved, and it would be interesting to see if she was, you know, salty over Gough Whitlam or if she was... I just want to find out what her insights were because it's so rare to actually hear. Because this podcast is all about just saying how you feel, you know, just just getting everything out there and being completely transparent, right? But the whole point, it seems, of the Queen's MO is just obfuscation of emotions and facts. And it would be really nice to hear how she actually felt about the sacking of Gough Whitlam. Because mm. I, I, I think he was a stand-up guy and I'm, you know, I'm just very curious about that. Well, Paul, uh, I thought that we're coming to the end of the fire brigade season and we're going to be going to the funeral industry fit the whole the whole story about how that industry works no holes barred that i can assure you and the listeners mm-hmm. um but i thought um we're going to be touching on a fairly uh heavy subject in the next week or two um that you and i both know about it but we're sort of preparing for that yes but as a lead up to that um perhaps next week i will tell the listeners a supernatural story from the New South Wales Fire Brigades. That is so incredible that when I heard the story uh, from a very senior officer who's a dear friend of mine, he told me last Friday and my body was shrouded in goosebumps at nine in the morning. And I just looked at him and I said, I can't believe you've never told me that story. And that's a story that the listeners have Something to look forward to. I can't it's a wait. cracker. And can't also, wait. Paul, um, mm. incredible news about the book that I'm not allowed to mention. But what? someone, someone amazing that we can't mention may or may not have done a bit of a dedication on the cover. Oh, yes. Um, someone- and you sent me that photo and I literally <laughs> shat cubic zirconia yep, out of my is- buttocks. If you could shed something more valuable, that would be very helpful for us uh, moving forward. I think, yes, someone very famous and very lovely has done a fantastic cover quote for us uh, describing what they thought of the book. Uh, spoiler alert, they really liked it. So that's really exciting. I did send Dad the photo and I did hear him crapping out semi-precious stones. No, so I just, I, I literally, I, I'm I'm actually, I, I, how the fuck did you do it? <laughs> Well, he's a he's, he no, likes but it's the amazing. It's oh, sorry, I gave and, away and, and such a just a he's a household name. He is a household name. Yes, yeah. Yep. So no, I've got to I've got to really pull back now because I don't want to. Well, it, I mean, it's been a very very big exciting episode of Loose Units. Thanks so much for listening to our Queen's Birthday special episode of Loose Units, the podcast. And if you haven't already, please. I know I say it every week, and I know Dad and I are harping on it, but we are getting so close to release date. So if you haven't got your copy of Electric Blue. Go online, grab it. Do not skip this part of the podcast. I know your finger's hovering over the skip part, so just grab a copy of Electric Blue, buy it, pre-order it, go to Booktopia if you want to grab it at a really good price, and we'll see you very, very soon for more Loose Units. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.